Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the post game Buckeye talk. Ohio State loses two. Again, the first regular season loss in the last, was it? They were 25 and out? One of the last 25? 25, 25 straight, right? I believe. 25 straight regular season wins. Ryan Day's first regular season loss. Oregon leaves Ohio Stadium victorious. We are sitting in the press box at, Ohio, at an empty Ohio Stadium. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We have surveys from our tech subscribers about what this loss means for the Ohio State team and season. And we will get to some questions for sure, but let's get to it right off the bat because a game tells you one thing, but what matters is how it, is how it affects the season. We asked the tech subscribers, Nathan, what do you think Ohio State's regular season record will be? Nathan, what do you think Ohio State's regular season record will be as they leave here one and one? But do you, to you did that look like an Ohio State team that's going to lose again sometime in the Big Ten season? Well, it certainly looked like a team that can, um, because I think that, uh, you know, Penn State and Oregon are probably roughly equivalent programs right now. Um, the problem is that's probably the only one that, I, as I'm looking at it, that really gives you a lot of concern. But I, I'm, I'm less confident in their ability to for sure beat Michigan, to for sure win even at Indiana at this point. Um, I think if it was, for you know, they got 10 games left, I might take the under on 10 wins. I take the under on 10 wins. I think they're going to lose twice. I think they're not a playoff team. It's based on what I saw today. I think they went out, but I do think that the Penn State game is interesting because it might be the same level of quarterback play, at least from a perception standpoint, of how good he, um, Penn State's quarterback might be. And then also, uh, what type of play caller you think Mike Yursich is? Can he do some Joe Moorhead stuff? And does his defense get better? But I'll, I'll, I'll bank on Ohio State's talent winning out, even if it doesn't always look pretty. When Ohio State loses, they usually improve after it. Now, not always, right? They lose in 2018. They lose to Purdue, and then they really don't figure stuff out defensively. Mm-hmm. And they almost lose to Maryland. They probably should have lost to Maryland. Almost but lost they, to Nebraska, too. Yeah. So that, like, the things that popped up in that Purdue game did not get fixed overnight. And so 
that is, I think, the concerning thing about this. It is very easy and I think natural to sort of go to 2014 here. Um, Haskell Garrett went to 2014 in the postgame news conference because Ohio State showed the way on this. You lose. It's, it's so similar. The score's almost similar. You lose in week two at home. I never thought they were going to crawl back in 2014, and they did, and they won the national championship. So, Nathan, like, the, the, the scheme, the plan, like, the, the, the logistics are out there. But it does feel like this is a different vehicle that's going to be traversing down that road. And I, it just feels like some of the things that happened defensively on Saturday, it maybe feels more like 2018 in that they'll learn from this and they'll be better. They will. But I don't know that it's going to get fixed to the point that they'll be able to replicate that 2014 kind of comeback where they were. And they still, it took them a while to be a great team in 2014. They didn't get it fixed right away. And it didn't really happen until the end of the year. But the, I think, Nathan, you, I think, are a little bit skeptical about any comparison to 2014. I think there's a lot of reason to be skeptical, but but why specifically are you? I just don't know that this team has the, the talent, especially on defense, that 2014's team had. Even if that wasn't, like, a, a great defense, I think this defense just seems much more vulnerable, and, and frankly, at all three levels. Like, I don't feel like the, the, the pass rush... Is that intimidating? We've had two games now to see it, and I don't. And today, um, the defensive end play was an issue. You weren't really getting much penetration up the middle. You know, Haskell Garrett said that it was uh, Anthony Brown got the ball out really fast, and that was a contribution, which I think is probably a plausible explanation. But that was supposed to be kind of what this defense fed off of. As long as that that front four was going to be strong and attacking and disruptive, that it would help the back seven kind of come along but I don't really see that push coming up from up front and I see less stability out of the back seven than we thought there was going to be and frankly one of the things that I'm factoring into my um, prediction of them not winning their next 10 games is I does not look like Josh Proctor is going to play anytime soon if at all the rest of this year that's a huge loss for this defense just a just a massive loss for this defense um, and on top of that the, the seven bank situation being so up in the air, like I just don't know how soon they're going to get healthy. And when they aren't healthy, we're seeing what they're putting on the field. Uh, they don't have a game changer right now at linebacker, or maybe they do, but they're so committed to moving guys in and out that they aren't going to find him. I just, this does not seem like we talked so much about margin for error. All right. Something I've really harped on that like 2019, the defense gave Justin Fields a ton of margin for error. And in 2020, Justin Fields, and his receivers gave that defense a ton of margin for error. And I don't see you, this team having the defense or the quarterback to give the other one that margin for error. I think this, this is going to be a team that this is not the last game that you will see Ohio State play that's going to come down to the fourth quarter this year. In fact, I think it's going to probably happen a few more times before we get to Thanksgiving. Was I two years early on nine and three? Is this, is this, <laughs> is this, am I? What? Like Justin Fields, I was like, oh, I think they'll go nine and three. Ryan Day, he's kind of new. And it was like, well, Justin Fields and Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, and now maybe there are things in place. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you lose your quarterback, you lose your four best linebackers. You could look at a season like this if you weren't at a powerhouse program like Ohio State, and back in the old days, you would have. 
So I'm like, well, you know what? This might be one of those years, right? But, but I think we were at but, one point. But you, but then you kind of come around on the idea of it's Ohio State. They have four yeah. and five stars. They have top yeah. 100 recruits yeah. all over the field. Those things don't exist anymore. But I think when you look out on the field, there was a play where somebody wound up taking a timeout and they changed personnel. But there was a key third Oregon, down. Yeah, Oregon took a timeout when Ohio State had the wrong uh, personnel on the field, but also they were messing up too. But go ahead. So it's like uh, Steel Chambers was on the field at linebacker. Cam Martinez, who has barely played defense this year, was in the game as the cover safety. Bryson Shaw was out there at that point because Josh Proctor was hurt. And you just looked out there and you were like, this is a crucial play in a game they are losing, and that's their 11? Like, really? That's their 11? And there are just numerous times, Stephen, where I think you look out at this defense at a gotta-make-a-play moment, and you think, that's their 11? But they are rotating a lot, but I don't know that there is a perfect 11, especially now that Josh Proctor's looking like he's going to be out for a while. And if Zach Harrison is not having a huge breakout season like we thought, and if, right, I mean, it's, the corners actually played pretty well today, but I think it's hard sometimes. You look out there and you just think, where is the game-changing defensive player? And you can be looking for a long time and not find him. There are some guys not playing up to their potential, which, I mean, that that's what it is. But then also, <laughs> last year we argued we were so frustrated that they wouldn't play depth. And it cost them. And right now they're, they're going the polar opposite direction of playing too much depth. And they kind of treated these games, especially at linebacker, they treated this like they were playing Akron and Tulsa first and not Minnesota on the road and then the Oregon team where you kind of need to know who your best players are. I wish they would have used last year's philosophy to get through these first two games where whoever your starters are, that's who you play. Even I understand you couldn't do that at corner because those guys weren't healthy, but everywhere else you were able to do that. But you just decided to throw everybody out there because you weren't sure what you had, which is not where you want to be when these are your first two opponents. But the 2020 defensive problem was not that when they rotated to their second level, they the results were bad when they rotated mm-hmm. to the second string. That was never the problem. So when all this talk that we've been hearing in the preseason, and I've tried to bring this up when we've talked about it, that, okay, Kerry Combs is talking about we've got more depth in the secondary. Ryan Day thinks they have more depth in the secondary. But unless your actual free safety play is better than it was in 2020, the depth doesn't matter. Unless your actual end-of-the-day combined cornerback play at the end of the day and your your uh, cover safety now play is better at the end of the day the totality of it then the depth doesn't matter and right now I think you're still seeing the cornerback play actually today wasn't that bad I don't think the secondary is a problem so that's not the best example it's happening at some other positions but at the end of the day the 11 defensive positions are not playing well enough can I ask a crazy person question that a professional journalist should not ask on a podcast live did Ryan Watts play today I did not notice I don't, him play. No, no. In the third corner was always legend. The, he definitely I played on special teams because at one point yeah, they announced that 16 did, was switching a jersey. So either he did not play. Had to switch a jersey, but I did not see him play defense. Mm-hmm. He started a corner last year. Or last week. He yes. started a corner. So, ba- no, that answers the question. Cam Brown's the starting corner. and But Ryan Watts didn't play. Legend Cavazos played. Legend right. Cavazos, who I don't know enough to say exactly – what Legend Cavazos might be doing wrong. There are bad things that happen around him sometimes, whether it's losing leverage, whether it's a zone defense. They hit a throw. Oregon hit a throw to the tight end of that. It's kind of like in in a zone behind Taraja Mitchell in front of Legend Cavazos. And it was like, well, I'm not exactly sure what was supposed to happen there. 
But man, that tight end was wide open on a critical play. I, I can't believe that they would be at a place where Legend Cavazos would just be getting snaps ahead of Ryan Watts when last week Ryan Watts started and Legend Cavazos didn't play that much. Their communication is off because there was another play pre-snap when, you know, there's a lot of going on, you're communicating on defense, and he and Ronnie Hickman are clearly getting into it. It's pretty animated. Somebody wasn't in the right spots. Um, Oregon didn't make anything of it, so they didn't have to pay for it. But it's just there's a lot of times, and I don't want to just single out Leslie Cabazos because other players have this problem too, but there are just a lot of times with this defense where there's somebody on the field who doesn't really look like they know what they're doing. And they're looking over to the sideline and not getting answers. I mean, I do think we're seeing – we are seeing a young, maybe not an inexperienced defense mm-hmm. at work. They were talking about a lot of things that happened on the edge today where – the design by Joe Moorhead, I mean, it's the, the Oregon offensive coordinator. You get a guy out to the edge, and then you sort of have, like, the outside, like, the receiver crack down on a block. And then when that defensive player who's supposed to have contain out there gets blocked, somebody else is supposed to sort of fill in and replace that player. And I, there were multiple times where that didn't happen. And Kerry Combs was talking about that. It's like, well, why does it keep happening? It's like, well... They kind of know what kept happening. And so, Nathan, it's very difficult. And we're never going to fool people with our X's and O's, and everyone's going to go back and rewatch this game. But when the, the, the bottom line is asking Ryan Day, asking Kerry Combs, and we will get into the fact that Kerry Combs did come up and speak to reporters after the game and basically take 10 questions that were along the lines of, should you have the job that you have? And he at least came and let us ask those questions. But... Asking Kerry, asking Ryan, talking to the players, they did the same thing wrong sometimes. So what does that tell us? Is that bad coaching? Is it bad scheme? Is it just a bunch of inexperienced players who are not able to fix their mistakes in the middle of a game? I assume it's all of it, but it's hard to kind of get a grasp on it sometimes, Nathan. Yeah, you know, I tried to ask Taraja Mitchell about this after the game because he brought up, uh, well, there were communication issues and things with the run fits, which is probably what he's alluding to is what you were just talking about, I think, on some of those cracks. But I tried to follow up with him and be like, okay, so because it happened multiple times. So you're saying the first communication didn't happen or that you guys are communicating, but it's not getting absorbed? And he, his basically explanation was it wasn't really necessarily a defense of the scheme, but it was saying, like, we have a defensive scheme, and if guys don't follow that, that's where the breakdown happens, regardless of how good the scheme is. And I think there's... A point to be taken there. I, I'm not. That's not me defending Kerry Combs' scheme, but I think you are seeing some breakdowns that happened because what was called would have been sufficient if guys had executed the play correctly. So that is still a, a bit of a problem as far as like assessing this team because Kerry Combs is the first one to say. I mean, did today say changes have to be made? We can't keep doing the same thing going forward. There's going to have to be adjustments made, and obviously they've got two opponents coming up the back-to-back weeks where they kind of get to play around with those adjustments a little bit. But there also just seemed to be bad execution here and still just – this just isn't the same talent level that you expect from Ohio State on defense. This this defense, uh, really just these past two years, it's not the same – it doesn't have that special – it doesn't have that snap to it that you expect to see, right? So we, we, we talked about this. We're going to get into this. Ohio State does have some great players, obviously. They might have their best players at the worst positions to make an impact. Haskell Garrett got penetration on a few plays. There are times when you know Haskell Garrett's on the field. Yes, yes. 
The defensive ends that I think a lot of us thought were going to take a jump this year did not feel like – do you know how many tackles for loss Ohio State had today, by the way? They had one, and it was split between Haskell Garrett and Teron Vincent. No sacks. The the running back for Oregon who ran wild uh, did not have a carry where he lost yardage. C.J. Verdell, 20 carries, 161 yards, zero loss. He did not lose – he never got hit in the backfield by somebody – beating their block, or by a defensive lineman, you know, beating their block and penetrating by a blitzer, anything. Never lost a yard. No penetration, no attack from the defensive line. Haskell Garrett is an impact player, I think, still. What we thought maybe Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith would do, it doesn't feel like at least they did today. The linebackers don't feel anything better than okay. Nobody is doing making a play to save them. The corners actually played pretty well. Cam Brown and Denzel Burke outside – Played pretty well. Cover safety feels like a little bit of an issue still. They hit some stuff on that. And then the deep safety spot, they hit a run up the middle where it sure looked like Bryson Shaw was just either in the wrong position or took a bad angle. And they pop a long touchdown run to start the second half. Um, it was a, was a pretty rudimentary run up the middle. Haskell Garrett at defensive tackle can only do so much. Like, he can't do anything in space, right, right? on the edge, mm-hmm. right? Where they got really hurt, Haskell Garrett can't help them. And then offensively, their best players are receivers who need help getting the ball. But if the offensive line is missing a block, if the, if the quarterback is, is missing a throw, you have to take a step before Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson can help you win. So if you, I think, it, I don't know that it's even arguable. I mean, would most people agree that Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Haskell Garrett are the three best football players on this team right now? Um, Nicholas Petit, Frere, Thayer, Munford in the mix, too. But even with them, that's a, uh, offensive line is a, right. is a collective right. effort yeah. of just indivi- if it, guys who can just individually be dominant, and that's fine. Yeah, it's those three guys. So they don't have a – their quarterback is not All-American level right now. Their running backs are not All-American level. Their defensive ends are not All-American level. And nobody in their secondary is All-American level. And it shows up, Stephen. I think, I, I think it shows up. It's not that they don't have great players, but they have great players in slightly less impactful spots. And in a lot of other places, they have good to okay players who on an individual play are making a mistake that's costing them. They don't have players who can save them is what it is. There's nobody who can just go out there on their own. And because of what they did, they saved the game, whether it – Corner, you shut down the side of the field and make it harder for a team to pass. Defensive end, you just wrecked up the game. Now they can't do anything. Quarterback, I mean, you're a freaking quarterback. Running back, you can hand it off to them. They don't have – you don't have a savior. And when you're a championship-level team, you have to have somebody who can just go, you know what, I'm just going to do this every single time, and it's going to make that much of an impact because of the position I play. It's really hard because they threw for a ton of yards today, but in 2018 they threw for a ton of yards – in part because Dwayne Haskins was a good quarterback, in part because they had good receivers, but Nathan also in large part because they had to because they couldn't stop anybody on defense. 2018 was a, was a nightmare defensively for Ohio State fans watching that because Ohio State has such a defensive legacy, a defensive reputation. As much as we are in an offensive spread, wide open era of college football, I do think there are a lot of fans who still take great pride in the silver bullets and shutting people down. And even though in 2018, the Buckeyes only lost once, it still drove people crazy. And it made some, it like made the game less enjoyable to watch because I think in the end, Ohio State fans would rather win 27 
21 with a couple key defensive stops than try to win 52-50, right? I think it, I think it gives them an ulcer. Well, I think and they'd this, rather win like 34-21 to 21 than 34-30, to 30. and I think that it hurts you when it comes down to the playoff but if it's committee, get, too. And they still, I mean, the playoff committee wants balance, but I still think a lot of fans would still rather win a defensive struggle than an offensive shootout. I think, Nathan, I think people are going to look at this game. You guys listen to this right now. I mean, you guys were having... 2018 flashbacks last year and nothing has been solved it's a tough spot to be in because I don't know what the solution is Nathan I don't know what the magic well this will make us better like seven banks hasn't played yet we are still very confused by that he dressed he's out there he's on the sideline in his uniform he doesn't play it's the second week in a row that has happened but I don't think seven banks like magically fixes this defense again because we said the corners played okay it's a tough spot to be in Nathan because fans are used to seeing an AJ Hawk or Ryan Shazier or a Chase Young or a Marshawn Lattimore or Sean Springs or a Malik Hooker all these great defensive players it's hard to find one and I think I think part of the things that makes that hard is as a fan is because you always think that the next loss is sort of inevitable right like, you feel like the the trap has already been laid for that next loss. And I think what also, as much as what you're saying is correct about, like, the, the lack of stars at the important positions and things like that, again, if Ohio State just contains the edge on, like, one or two more runs in this game, they might win. It, it, that, was, that wasn't like somebody having to come up and do something special. That was just a guy coming up and fundamentally doing his job there and better containing the edge. So that's what I think what probably gets on fans the most too. It's that when you see that happen, when you see Ohio State get beat by Clemson in 2019 and the talent Clemson put on the field, frustrating, but you know how to process that. When you watch Ohio State even get shredded by Alabama, you look at that and say, there's that, there's an argument to be made that that's like as good of a college football offense as has ever been on the field or one of the very few. teams. Any team's going to struggle to stop that. So you don't like getting crushed the way you did, but there's a way to explain it. I think this is tougher to explain. Where Oregon is like, fine. Like, Oregon's pretty good on offense. Maybe they're better than we thought, but they certainly don't. They're not Alabama level. They're not even Clemson level. They don't seem like a high-powered um, playoff caliber offense, but they look like it when Ohio State is making some of the, the undisciplined mistakes that they were making and opening the door for them. I think that's what's frustrating as a fan. It's one thing if you go up against a great team and there's nothing you can do about it because they've seen Ohio State do that to teams before. I think they understand that. What's harder to understand is how Oregon could run the same play like four times and have the same result. I think what you're saying basically is it's 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 you can get out-talented, which is what Alabama did. They out-talented them. They got out-coached today. That's all that. Because Oregon wasn't the more – I mean, I do a talent comp every single week. Oregon was not the more talented team, especially on offense. Their, their talent is not on offense. It's on defense. And yet, Oregon kind of had their way on offense today as if they had a bunch of five stars walking around. Yeah, I think when you say out-coached, too, it's important. When I hear out-coached, I think when a lot of people hear out-coached, they think, well, you didn't make some sort of snap your fingers and you figured out the play you could mm-hmm. call to counteract that. That's not what I see as being – the out-coaching that happened today. I think the out-coaching happened in the days that led up yep. to this game. I don't know that there's anybody special on Oregon's offense. Their best receiver, Johnny Johnson III, didn't have a catch today. Four targets, no catches. They did not have a receiver with more than 34 yards receiving any individual player. Mm-hmm. 
Anthony Brown, their quarterback, 17 of 35, 236. He's just average. He is not better than average. He made a few plays today, but he I, I stand by thinking he is not scary. He is not dynamic. He is not a guy that you're freaked out is going to throw the ball all over the yard on you. But they came out and established the run. 38 carries, 269 yards. That's a 7.1-yard average. That's their two main running backs and a quarterback who is involved in the run game. C.J. Verdell, 20 for 161. Anthony Brown, the quarterback, 10 for 65. Travis Dye, the second running back, 8 for 44. 7.1 yards per carry. That is establishing something. I think I heard, I wish I could check it, that, that Mario Cristobal at Oregon is 12-0 and 0 when they run for more than 200 yards. They ran for 270. And at the same time, Ryan Day said Ohio State never established the run. Ohio State, 31 carries, 128 yards. 4.1 yard average. That is the kind of sort of, you know, is that toughness? Is that ruggedness? I don't know. There's a lot of other stuff that goes into that scheme and talent and breaking tackles and quick feet and all that stuff. But Nathan, that's like a pretty basic part of football that Oregon was decisively better at today. Oregon with good but not spectacular running backs ran the ball in a way that Ohio State could not. The hallmark of offenses at Ohio State with Ryan Day has been being the better running team or being a great running team. I mean, that's what everything has been built on. Even last year when their running game was sort of limping along, that was still what they hung their hat on. That's still what they were able to base the offense around. You know, you, you establish the run, and then when teams have to overcorrect for that, that's when you absolutely kill them with these guys that you have on the outside, this receiving core that you have, or, or Jeremy Rucker, or whatever you want to do. But you got to establish that run first. I mean, those numbers you were just reading off, 4.1 yards a carry, that gets dipped a little bit because of those sacks that the C.J. Stroud took late, but not much. I mean, that was, if I don't know, if you're in, in major college football in this, in this day and age, if you're averaging less than 4.5 yards a carry, 5 yards a carry, you had a poor day, or you took a ton of sacks. And uh, you're right. I mean, you could just tell that the... the the tempo and the, the tone of this game was controlled by Oregon pretty much throughout. It was definitely, it definitely they got, they established it to such a degree early on that it was then Ohio State that had to kind of desperately try to take it back from them in the second half of this game. And Ryan Day admitted that the inability to run the way they wanted to affect it is play calling. Their first fourth down in the red zone that they missed. Listen to this series. This is just, this is tough. First and 10 from the Oregon 34. Six-yard pass to Mayan Williams. So it's second and fourth, the Oregon 28. Three-yard loss by Mayan Williams on a run. Third and seven, incomplete pass to Jackson Smith and Jigba. Fourth and seven, incomplete pass to Chris Olave. That's the one in the end zone, right, that people thought maybe should have been pass interference. But Ryan Day said, because you know that's four-down territory, right? So if you believed in your run game, you can run it on third down. And then if you get, you know, five yards, you have, it's fourth and two, you have a chance to run it on fourth down, too. Instead, they throw, throw. And, Stephen, to hear Ryan Day say that my play calling was affected by our inability to run the ball, this is – and this is not as much about Mayan Williams and Trayvon Henderson. This is a game where that offensive line, you would expect, would dominate. And we'll all go back and watch film. But this is Ryan Day, the head coach, saying, I didn't believe in our run game enough to run the way I wanted to. That's on the offensive line. I think they they were clearly the best position group last week. I, 
I mean, they're near the bottom this week. They didn't create enough holes. Uh, Maya Williams and Trayvon Henderson ran pretty violent today. It's just if you're getting hit in the backfield every time and you have to fight just to get back to the line of scrimmage, you're probably pretty tired and aren't going to do much else with the ball at that point. This was not a good day for an offensive line that was pretty dominant last week. But I also – they don't establish the run. One thing I think we saw, especially in 2019, I understand you had Jacob Dobbins, but even late last season – before we found out Trey, Trey Sermon could karate kick kids in the head, they would come out and have their first series would be like seven runs, just pounding it down people's throats. They didn't do that in the first series today. They didn't do it last week either. First three plays, throws, these short throws to kind of get C.J. Stroud involved. Then you run it, but then you go back to the throw. I think it was nine and three or whatever, the, the first couple of series when it was throws, the pass, passes or whatnot. I, it's, it's there's this balance of, and I, I, I think I'm going to ask Ryan Day this on Tuesday. There's this balance of trying to get your your young quarterback who's in his second start comfortable and get his groove going, but there's also establishing what you actually want to do. And right now, they're not really to start games trying to establish the run. It seems like they're just trying to make their new starting quarterback comfortable with some of the play calls. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back uh, after this on Buckeye Talk. Doug Nathan, Steven, be a texter at 614-350-3315. Okay, the one thing is they come out often with some RPO stuff where they throw bubbles. Yeah. Where in the old days, if you had a running quarterback, it would be a zone read where he keeps and it is a run play. But frankly, when he throws a sideways pass to the edge to Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave, it's basically an extension of the run game. So it's not the offensive lineman getting a tee off and run people over, but it – it goes in the book as a pass, but it's kind of like a run. But they do run a, f- a fair share of RPOs. But the other part, Stephen, is it goes back to the thing. Their best players are receivers. So yeah. I also think if they came out and gave the ball to Mayan Williams, nine of the first 12 plays, I also think we might be like, why aren't you throwing it to Christian Lobby and Garrett Wilson? Nathan, yeah. you're nodding along. Yeah. They're a little yeah. bit caught in between here with an offensive identity that Stephen is right. Come out and pound it. Nathan, you've been saying it. Come out and pound it. But it doesn't fit their personnel. So which way are you supposed to lean? To your All-American personnel or to your offensive identity? And I'm not sure there's a clear answer there. But I think the result might be in two first halves so far this year getting caught in between in the process of trying to figure that out. Yeah, I, I want to go back and rewatch because, you know, Ryan Day said last week, you know, their, their offense is predicated, and he said it in this order, run the ball attack horizontally, and then attack vertically. He said it in that order. Yes. And I feel like the horizontal attack is there. I mean, they established that early. Like you said, that is in many ways just an extension of the run game. I don't have a problem with that because of the personnel that they have. I've seen there have covered teams before where I'm like, what are you guys doing throwing these dumb bubble screens? But when you're throwing them to guys who are this talented, get them out in space and let them do what they can do, especially as we've seen. Like Chris Olave has made strides in his game, what he can do after the catch. Um, I did think that one of the big adjustments that was made over the course of this game was early on, Jackson Smith the Jigba did not seem to be on C.J. Stroud's radar at all. And as the game went on, he became a very prominent member of his, a very, very prominent blip on his radar, and he ended up having a huge game. What was 140-some yards? 145 yards on seven catches and two touchdowns and 11 targets. I think part of that might just be when you throw 54 passes, eventually you're just going to get comfortable throwing it back there. And so after a while, I mean, for all sense and purposes, C.J. Stroud was pretty efficient. 
He had some bad misses, yes, but he was pretty efficient. He kind of got into a groove back there, which is when Jackson Smith and Jigba can get involved. I think my art, we'll see the next couple of weeks because the talent is clearly not going to be equated if they try to establish a run game. Because that's something they did do in 2018 when they lost to Purdue. That next game, they almost force-fed the running game to try to get it going to the detriment of the passing game against Nebraska. I will say that this was another – you're right, that he was fairly efficient. There were some – kind of blatant misses early yeah. on. He looked very wild early on. Like first series, it might have trickled into the second series a little bit. And again, it comes back to margin for error because most games that we've seen Ohio State play for the last couple years, you know, Justin Fields, maybe Justin Fields would have a bad game or bad, like the Indiana game, he had like a bad half. But like you, he would still, he was, he was still so good that it wouldn't matter. Or 2019, I remember him looking kind of flat against Michigan State, but that defense was so good that Michigan State wasn't going to do anything against it. And now you can have one bad series or two bad series where you don't get in the end zone and look what you've got. Like there's you you can't give away possessions with Ohio State right now. 54 passes. Here are the targets. Olave 17, Wilson 14, Smith Najigba 11, the rest of the team combined 12. So they're getting the ball to their playmakers. And those guys each had more than 100 receiving yards, and they lost. Like, there, there are parts of this offensive stat sheet that you would be like, I don't know, look at this. I don't know, did Ohio State win, like, 49-24? Right. It's like, no, they lost, which is, again, rekindling, I think, some difficult memories of 2018 CJ is not much of a run threat. He had one good scramble for a first down that was called back by a Thayer Munford hold at a really tough spot. They got some, as much as they didn't run Justin a lot on purpose last year, it was a get out of jail free card a lot of times when you needed it. Mm -hmm. Because if you really need, oh, we need it here. Oh, now we are going to do a little zone read. Oh, everybody's covered? Oh, look, our supremely athletic quarterback is running in the wide open field. It is a little tough when you take that away. And, and he he doesn't feel dangerous to me, Stephen. Like, whatever that is. There were times, he had a couple rollouts they called for him in this game where he's floating, 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 floating. And he sort of can't make a decision to go. He doesn't look exactly comfortable. That's what it is. Make it... Like, he's not decisive in the run game. Because when you're a quarterback, if nobody's open, if you're going to go... And listen, now we go back. People get criticized. Sometimes, like, oh, Justin's a one-read quarterback. He makes one read and then he goes. And it's like, well, yeah. Because sometimes when he goes, he runs for 25 yards. So it feels like CJ sometimes is searching for something and doesn't go. And that can solve so many problems. And they just don't have that... He ran five times. He gained 17 yards. He lost 20. We know the sacks are included in that. Do you agree with that, Stephen? He just doesn't seem like much of a threat to me that defenses have to worry about the quarterback scramble. The, yes. I just don't know if that's because he doesn't have the ability to or he just doesn't want – he's not willing to. He doesn't have the confidence. To yeah, do because – He doesn't have the skills. That, that's the thing with Justin. He was willing to do it. My fav, One of my favorite games from Justin Fields was the Michigan State game last year because he just had to do a lot of weird stuff because the offensive line was yep. jacked up. And so there were some snaps when Harry Miller was messing up where he just took it and ran, which was clearly not the play. But it's like, you know what? I'm not going to mess around with this. I'm going to go get yards. He was willing to do it, even especially when they would roll him out. 
it wasn't that he was reading one read. It's that I'm not going to force this when I know I can go get it. CJ doesn't feel like I want to do that. I want to put. I want to throw it with my arm. I, I understand wanting to win a game with your arm, but you do have to be willing to run the ball, especially if you have the ability to. And then talking to his coach and, and, and recruiting, and then everything they've said, he's has the he has the ability to do it. He just has to be willing to do it. Okay, so let's talk about. We're trying to figure out as we have these conversations, like, well, what's fixable and what's not. Right, that's the bottom line. Where can they improve? Where can they figure it out? Regular season record, what will it be? It's basically a 50-50 split of whether they're going to lose another game in the regular season. 47% of the texters say they're going to go 11-1, which means 53% think they'll lose another game. 40, 41% said 10-2. 11% said 9-3. 1% said 8 and 4 or worse. So that's about a 50-50 split. Will they lose again? Can they still make the playoffs? The choices that I gave. It's about a 50-50 split. I think they could win out and I would give them a decent chance of making the playoffs. That's 48%. Decent chance. Small chance, 40%. Zero chance, 12%. So again, 48% think decent chance, 52% think zero or small. Nathan, in the end, all this is related to today wasn't good enough, but C.J. Stroud is a little more of a run threat. Establish the run earlier. The offensive line, maybe this was their worst game and they get back to the level we think they're going to play at. They stop rotating so many defensive players. Maybe, you know, maybe Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison start getting after the quarterback more. Like, do you see... Are there enough areas where it can be like, oh, no, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Like, maybe in two months, they won't look anything like the team that we watched on Saturday. This just feels like a team that can never have an off day offensively. They only had like an off half today offensively, and it still cost them. And I just don't feel like, I don't have a lot of confidence right now. I don't look out at this defense and see enough skill and enough like special like how many places are they special it's going back to what you're talking about like we're just you get a little spoiled when you're watching ohio state and you just are there's all americans just sprinkled everywhere and as you're saying like you're just looking at every level of this defense right now that element is missing and i i don't really have a lot of confidence right now that that combination of a defense that especially in a big 10 that is kind of getting interesting Maryland, what they're being able to do with some skill positions. Penn State, maybe bouncing back from last year. We know what Indiana is. It's kind of a lurking threat, even with what they did last week. Like, there just seems to be a, a, a perfect storm brewing here of, like, that more plausible upset potential teams, opponents, plus this defense that I, especially if Josh Proctor can't play, I, I think that's, a, again, just a massive loss at the back end of this defense that I don't know how they ever fully fix. And then an offense that, as you pointed out, it's all dependent on how often you can get the ball to those guys outside. And if they're not getting the separation they got against Minnesota, if you're forcing a redshirt freshman quarterback who's still getting his himself together and who also, again, doesn't have a Justin Fields kind of ceiling probably, then it just the more likely there is there's going to be mistakes or drives that don't end in points. And all of that just adds up. I mean, that's the, all of that is just the recipe to – another loss somewhere. It's not like catastrophic, I guess. It's just like, that's what this team is this year. 
I think everything about the offense is fixable because once again, and we'll get to this more when we get to see this drop, but he's in his second start and he might not be Justin Fields, but that's fine. But I think everything about the offense is fixable. I am skeptical uh, on defense. Okay, so let me ask this. There was a one of the late drives, JT Tumalo out, got his hand on a pass yeah. and tipped the pass that would have been would have been completed for a first down if he didn't tip it. What if by the second half of the year, JTT is looking like a freshman All-American and is like, oh, man, I wonder who their best defensive end is going to be. It's like, well, it's him. Okay. Paleo Gayoteote. Neote. Neote. USC linebacker. Say it again. Palaye. Palaye. Neoteote, right? It's five syllables on the last name. Jerry said Mm -hmm. that. Neoteote. He played a handful of snaps today. I don't know what's up with linebacker. Nathan, could he be their best linebacker? Oh, sure. Okay. So he plays more. All of a sudden, maybe he becomes the closest thing to a playmaker you have at linebacker. Let's say that Josh Proctor is out and they, they, they figure it out at deep safety. Maybe it's Jansen Dunn. Maybe it's moving Lathan Ransom or somebody else back there. Maybe it's, it, maybe it's moving Court Williams. Maybe You know what? I have not been super impressed with the bullets. Everybody loves Court Williams. Let's see some Court Williams. Like, I think maybe the defensive answers aren't on the field right now. But could they be on the field by the second half of the year? Like, is that possible? Where JTT and Jack Sawyer and Neoteote and somebody at deep safety and, like, you piece it together and it's there. Is that – because, again, like, why why keep doing the same thing? Like, we can't rotate all these same guys all year, right? This is not working. So maybe one of the things, on one hand, Nathan, it's like, well, what? So they're rotating the 40 best defensive players right now, and I think the answers are the guys who aren't even in the rotation. So I, I don't know. Like, is that possible? I'm not going to say it's impossible, but that's part of my skepticism, is that it, it, you're naming a lot of guys that, you know, whether you start talking about Jordan Hancock and Ja'Kayla Johnson, guys like that, like, they're not on the field at all right now. So, I mean, like, let's go to a linebacker. Now, the, the Neotote situation is unique because they weren't sure he was even going to be eligible to play at all this year. In fact, Ryan Day at one point this week told us he wouldn't be Literally able 12 to. hours before he became eligible, <laughs> right. he told us he was ineligible. So, I don't know what the miscommunication was there. But, like, they, so because of that, that affected the way he practiced. So, he especially, and I, I even said it on the pod at one point, like, he might be this year's Trey Sermon. Like, he might be the guy that, like, figures it out over the, like, the closing stretch and then you see something really good from him late. I, I think the talent is there for that to happen. But the fact that right now you're giving so many crucial snaps in this, like, to Steel Chambers, to Kayvon Pope, to guys who just didn't really seem like they were going to be significant players this year. What what is that? And that, what I can't really get to and what I think we were trying to get from Kerry Combs today, and he was willing to, like, fall on the sword but not, like, tell us what the sword was made of a little bit today. It's like, you know, are you do you, are you just lacking this element of, like, that kind of great player that you can rely on? Or are you, like, committing to these, like, personnel groups as, like, a strategy? And, like, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out from them because until I get a good answer on that, 
a good read on that because right now I'm kind of assuming it's almost like the latter. Like they want to play a lot of guys, and I just I don't know. Like you're going to get to the playoff with Steel Chambers playing all the snaps, and he wasn't a linebacker seven weeks ago or whatever. I I don't think um, Jordan Hancock and Kalen Johnson aren't playing this year. I don't think they need to. I think their corners are fine. Denzel Burke just showed you the last two weeks that he can play there. Cameron Brown was pretty good at some point, maybe seven banks plays. But if not, I'm comfortable with Jaquela. I mean, not Jaquela, Denzel Burke but and that, Cameron Brown. That's not really there. necessarily the point. Right. right. I, the point, I, I think, to the point of, could JTT start playing more? Yeah. Could Jack Sawyer start playing more? Yeah. They're going to get two games where you're probably going to let them loose because they're going to win the games by 60. Uh, and then that linebacker, if uh, Palia is, is, is now that they can start working him in with the ones and not necessarily just put him at the walk-ons because you're not sure what's going on there. Yeah, I think he, Taraja Mitchell, and Cody Simon are your three best linebackers, and that's who you need to stick with. Cody Simon made some plays today as well. Now, is he better than Pellier? I don't know. Pellier probably – he's not better than Pellier, but he did make some plays today. But he's probably third on that hierarchy when you're talking about the linebackers. Cody Simon's been on the field for a lot of touchdowns that opponents have scored. Yes. The hard thing is there are multiple times today – I really want to go watch him again. Yeah. There are multiple times today where it's like, well, that was bad defense. And if you said, well, who who did the bad thing? And it's like, well, I'm not exactly sure, but, man, was there a lot of wide open space, right? Again, it's not – it's guys maybe someone gets blocked and somebody doesn't fill the gap that's supposed to fill the gap where the right. guy was blocked. Somebody – you know – I think that's what Taraja Mitchell was talking about. Like, somebody didn't do a job. Yeah. And it's it's not blown coverages and, and a million missed tackles and whatever, right? But it's – it's sort of not filling the gap that's supposed to be filled. And then there's no nothing exceptional. There's no exceptional plays on this defense right now, right? That That is, even like JTT getting his hand up, right? That That is the kind of stuff that, that just means we have Iowa State, home. Iowa on here. I mean, Iowa just got a pick because the Iowa defensive end got his hand up and tipped the pass, and it turns into a pick, right? I mean, there's not moments like that happening as much with this defense right now the best play this defense made wasn't because somebody was excellent as a playmaker it was just one of maybe five good defensive calls they had and it's because they almost got a pick they showed blitz with Kayvon Pope and then he backed off of it but instead of like bailing he just backpedaled to stay in his technique and they fooled Anthony Brown, and he almost came away with a pick, but then it also almost ended up in the hands of Oregon before it fell to the ground. But that's not even – that's not Kayvon Pope making a play. That's just a good defensive call on Anthony Brown making a bad decision. So, yeah, no one is doing anything where it's like, well, that's outside of the scheme, but I'm really glad he made the play. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we talked about before, like maybe Ryan Chazier at times maybe was in the wrong gap, but he still tackled the guy. Yeah. You know. Um, okay. Let's get to Kerry Combs and C.J. Stroud, I think, are the two things we have to hit. Listen, we're going to be talking about this defense all week. We cannot answer every defensive question. We will have a more intelligent conversation about this when we all get a chance to go back and rewatch this. So we will do that, and we will continue. I mean, we're not going to talk about Tulsa. We're going to talk about Tulsa. I mean, you can talk about Oral Roberts. That'd be a heck of a thing. Tulsa is the bugaboo for the Ohio State athletic program. Um, Kerry Combs, I asked this question. And it's, it's a good reminder. Squeaky wheels right on Twitter. Sometimes on Twitter, people want guys fired in the middle of games. What would you do with defensive coordinator Kerry Combs? Parentheses, this answer can be emotional. You don't have to act like a head coach. These were the choices. Fire him. Demote him to position coach. Keep him for now, but assume there will probably be a new defensive coordinator next year. Keep him for now and see if it gets better, right? So, like, kind of like a keep it for now because, like, well, we're not really in the business of 
of firing guys in the middle of the year, this but like there's almost nothing you can do to save your job, right? That like this showed me enough, you're not the guy, right? That's the difference to me of like, you know what? I'm going to be open-minded and see what happens. Winning the vote was demote, 40% demote. So demote or fire got 48%. Again, everything is like split down the middle here. It's a conflicted fan base. 40% demote, 8% fire. So that's, again, it's a reminder that not everybody wants to immediately act. Keep him for now, but assume he's going to be gone next year. That's 32. Keep him and see if things get better. Is only 19. So Nathan, that's like sort of 81% thinking maybe Kerry Combs is not the defensive coordinator in 2022. Paul Rhodes is a former head coach. He's a former longtime defensive coordinator, was the defensive coordinator at Arizona last year, is here as an analyst. That means he helps with the scheme. He just can't coach on the field and he can't recruit, but he can do all the film work in the world. So whatever they're doing from a film perspective, he's already involved. So if you really think the scheme is wrong, well, Paul Rhodes is already a part of that. Parker Fleming is a guy who got hired as a full-time assistant here from an analyst spot. I never thought the hiring made sense. He's a special teams guy who kind of has supposed to help out a little bit, I guess, here and there. I Nathan... The all, it almost makes sense to me of like, well, why would Paul... I mean, listen, analysts go places all the time, right? I mean, there's all kinds of overqualified analysts, big-time programs, game the system, and you basically get an extra coach out of it. He's sitting here. So if it's one of those things like, well, if Kerry Combs isn't defensive coordinator, what, who's going to be the defensive coordinator? It's, well, it's going to be Paul Rose because he's in the building right now. I'm not saying they should, but it's there. And if Ryan Day thinks like, this is not it, this is not it. I love him. He's a tremendous person. There's no doubt about that. He's a tremendous recruiter. There's no doubt about that. He's a tremendous position coach. There's no doubt about that. But there is certainly doubt about whether he's a great defensive coordinator. Like, is there any universe, Nathan, any universe where you could imagine this? Because I, I'm not trying to get hot, right? But I call out assistant coaches when I think they're not getting the job done. And I, lo- I think Kerry is a tremendous person. We're not best friends, but I certainly have gotten to know Kerry Combs a little bit over the years. This was not good enough. And I think in a world where if you're like, you know what? it was He's never done it. He's never done it. And maybe it's like, maybe it was the greatest hire in the world to hire a guy who's never been a defensive coordinator to be the defensive coordinator at Ohio State. If you look out there and think that's not it, what are you waiting for? You have a, you have a defensive coordinator who's been a defensive coordinator for a decade in college. In the building, what are you waiting for? If you're trying to make the pro, if you're trying to make the playoffs, still right. I'm not calling for it. I'm not calling for it. But we've been talking about this. Everybody in this fan base has been wondering about it, right, Nathan? I mean, this was the whole thing of last year. Is is Kerry Combs really a coordinator? And eh, it's a pandemic. Give him time. This was not good today, Nathan. Like, where are you on this, and how how Ryan Day should handle the Kerry Combs situation? I, I don't think it's something you do now. I think with the schedule the way it is, you do have two games coming up in Tulsa and Akron where these the talent advantage should be such that you can go out and figure some of these things out on the field. Um, they do have to make adjustments. They're going to have to make some schematic changes. They have to figure out who their best football players are. They can't keep doing this thing where they're playing like 30 guys on defense. I, that doesn't make sense to me. And they do have to get a couple key guys healthy again. 
as we talked about before. I, I'm not convinced. I mean, just a quick perusal of Paul Rhodes's defensive coordinator career is not like he was considered a football mastermind. Well, if he was a football mastermind, he wouldn't be at Ohio State yeah, making right. nine fifty well, an hour. But that's my analysis. point. That's my point. It's like I don't. If you're gonna up, if you're gonna make that change, you have to know that you're getting an upgrade. I don't know that I necessarily see that. <laughs> I, I, so we were talking about this on the way back down to the field. It's interesting. I think Kerry Combs is kind of paying for his sins a little bit. It's like we talking about they might not have the talent, especially at safety, if Josh Proctor can't play. Some of that is Kerry Combs' fault because he left. And all of a sudden, well, no, no, I think that's a misuse of fault. Okay, fault. I'm, okay, fault. It's not his fault. Not they actually your bad. fault. No, it's not actually. You left, the recruiting went down, and now you're back. But you're also dealing with the fact that recruiting went down and the guy who probably... I mean, it's literally not his fault. At all. The, 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 the talent gap. You it's, started off by saying okay, it's yeah. his fault. The point left. is, he left, people didn't do their jobs right, and now he has to deal with it. Yes, not while, his fault. While that also part is not his fault. being a first-time coordinator who might not be up for the job. So it's like Correct. piling on top of each other. So, I mean, they're not going to fire him in the middle of the season, no. It's just... He's not doing a good job, but he also doesn't have a, a weapon equipped enough to help him do the best job he can do. He is a great recruiter and a great cornerback coach, and yeah. he's being let down right now by secondary recruiting that wasn't good enough in his absence, and also he doesn't that know. he's not coaching it good enough. He's yeah. not scheming it up. Listen, so when I was critical of guys like Tim Beck and Bill Davis – um, and Corey Dennis, right? I, like it's it's guys who have, who've never done anything here. Right, what, what they don't have any leg to stand on here. You have not contributed anything to Ohio State, so you're not you, you're not getting the job done. Kerry has Kerry helped shape the modern era of Ohio State. His recruiting, his energy. I mean, he he was a fundamental part of the Urban Meyer era, and so this is really difficult. And I think he does deserve absolutely benefit of the doubt, but he's also never done this. It is a lot like Ed Warner. That when Tom Herman left and they hired Tim Beck as the quarterbacks coach because he was not he wasn't that good at Nebraska at doing that, and then he came here and I didn't think Tim Beck was a very good quarterbacks coach and I did not think he was a very good co offensive coordinator. But Ed Warner had been a very good offensive line coach here at Ohio State was the offensive line coach for a national championship team, and then they elevated him above his ability and made him a co offensive coordinator and it didn't work. But Ed had status here, man. Ed had gotten it done, but. You know, after two years of bad coordinating, he wasn't there anymore. So I think the Combs situation is similar to that. Now, Kerry's even more fundamental than Ed Warner was to Ohio State. It is very difficult from a personal standpoint. But I don't think they're doing a good enough job. Nobody does. But the hard thing also, Nathan, and this is the thing that is a reminder, Ryan Day's a head coach. And Ryan Day, when Jeff Halfley left, made it very clear, no, this is my defensive system. We play defense the way I want to play it. I'm going to hire someone who plays the way I want to play, which is a single high safety, which not a lot of people do. We're going to have plenty of time to get into Ryan Day this week. It's his first regular season loss. He is no longer Ryan Day boy genius. He's just Ryan Day, very good football coach which happens to everybody because, as we said, we didn't think he was going to have an undefeated regular season career. He eventually was going to lose before the playoff. But it is partly on Ryan Day as well. Like, Ryan Day, just because you're not on that side of the ball does not make you, you know, you don't get off the hook for that. Mm -hmm. And so 
I think I think they're playing the style that he wants to play, and the style is certainly part of the issue. You know, when we had uh, um, Deontay Leon two years ago breaking down film, talking about how like there's nobody in college football who plays one safety, and then now this year we're kind of like, well, they're kind of playing three safeties now. They just renamed two positions. They're still really only playing one safety. I mean, the bullet is a linebacker, and the cover safety is a corner, right? It doesn't matter what room they're in or what position group. On the field, the way they line up and scheme, they're doing linebacker and corner responsibility kind of things. They're very The bullet goes back as a second safety every now and then. You'll see Ronnie Hickman back there. That depends on like how the offense lines up. It has nothing to do with how they're scheming it. It's just they're reacting when yeah, they right. are being aggressive with it. So I don't know, Nathan, but, but both Ryan Day and Kerry Combs, I mean, of course, after a loss, you're going to leave it open. I mean, no one's going to come in in the press conference after a loss and be like, no, 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 no. We'll do the same thing next week. That's good enough. I don't know, Nathan. I think there's some difficult things here as opposed, when it relates to the style of defense Ryan Day wants to play, Kerry Combs' ability here. There's some big boy decisions, I think, ahead. When we talk about why that 2019 defense created such a margin for error, the names that we first always throw out there, for obvious reasons, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda. As I'm watching this team, the names that keep jumping out at me are Jordan Fuller and Malik Harrison as being the two things that... Now, obviously, if they if Ohio State had a Chase Young and a, and a Jeff Okuda, they'd be in better position. But they are so lacking those other two things. And right now, a, a playing a single high-safety defense... Without Josh Proctor back there, because I was skeptical even of that, but I thought he had acquitted himself pretty well when he played these first two games. I thought he was kind of trending towards some of that eraserish uh, sort of thing, to use Jeff Halfley's word for for Jordan Fuller in the 2019 season. Like I thought we were starting to see some of that out of him. He was coming up and making plays. He was being the free safety Ohio State needed. If they do not have him, all due respect to Bryson Shaw, who I talked to a little bit this week. It seems like a really good guy dedicated guy wants to win does the right things whatever it that is trending towards catastrophe for this defense and the hard thing is one of the reasons you play single high safety is because you want another guy in the box so you can stop the run and you give up 38 carries for 269 yards 7.1 yards per carry so it's like well you're not get the thing that you're trying to do is not working and part of it's because they're breaking long runs every now and then because you don't have anybody back in center field right so i mean it, it is it is a difficult spot we're going to talk about C.J. Sprout. C.J. Sprout. C.J. Sprout. He's sprouting. He is sprouting. Is C.J. Stroud sprouting? We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. C.J. Stroud, huge numbers, 35 of 54, 484 passing yards, three touchdowns, one interception, took two sacks. This is the question I asked the texters. By the way, we had another thing today. Um... We all, I thought, I thought we were um, correct. I thought, Nathan, what do you think generally the questions asked of Kerry Combs? I thought we got to where we needed to get to, and he was gonna, he was in that mode that coaches get into, which is like, it's my, they take all the responsibility, but they don't really explain anything, and just saying like, it's my responsibility, it's my responsibility, doesn't do that much. It's better than him not coming out, so it was good to have him come out because we used to say the unpaid amateurs. The NIL amateurs come out and answer <laughs> questions, win or lose, and coaches should too. Um, but we did. I was waiting to see how some questions were asked. We did have a couple questions that were asked, like 
along the lines of, well, fans are saying this. And it's like, listen, don't put everything on the fans. It's quite possible you're not good enough at this to keep this job. So we don't have to blame like Twitter for it all the time. Right. What did you think generally of the Kerry Combs news conference? I thought there were a couple too many questions like that. Like there needed to be one of like, hey, there's like uproar out here that like you're the cause. Like give him a chance to fall on the sword, like I said before. But they didn't need to be a couple follow ups to that. I thought, well, I was. I mean, I didn't get called on for that segment, but I thought yourself and other people were doing a better job of like getting to the nitty gritty of like of trying to diagnose what the problem is and how willing they are to change, uh, to, to correct the actual virus. Um, we've seen the symptom, but you've got to go out and actually fix what's actually wrong underneath everything. And that's what I think still needs to be better diagnosed. And so I I was glad that he came. I I had even said to our texters, like, Oh, we're probably not going to get him because a lot of times we don't, we didn't get him after the national championship game. We didn't get either coordinator after the national championship game, which I thought was an absolute joke. Um, just throwing the players up there to answer. I thought that was that looked really bad for Ohio State. Um, but to, to have him come in today, I thought was the stand-up move. Um, and not that, but that's it, also just his job. Like you're paid a lot of money to coordinate this defense. The coordination of this defense, this defense is discoordinated right now. It is uncoordinated. Not that he isn't trying to coordinate it, but it just it it plays in an uncoordinated way, and that that had to be addressed. All right, so let's get to C.J. Stroud. This is the question I asked about C.J. Stroud. What is your level of faith in C.J. Stroud right now? High? No, 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 what was this? Very high. He's young and will continue to improve. High, but he might need this year to really develop. Medium, he's fine, but I think there's a decent chance of a different starting quarterback next year. Or low, I really think someone else should maybe start this year. I thought that was a good explanation of the four levels. I thought that was a pretty good describing job I done. Medium one. So again, the top two are very high and high. Then it's medium and low. Medium and low combined for 56%. High and very high combined for 43%. So there's a little more uncertainty than certainty. It was medium 44%, high 30%, very high, sort of like, hey, I, I, he's still the guy for this year. It was only 13 but the like pull the plug was 12. So the highest was still above the lowest, barely. Steven, where is, what would you have answered to that? And how would you go ahead and describe your level of faith in CJ Stroud? The second high where you say, um, I think you said afterward, he might need a year before he gets there. Yeah. I think I'm there, which is like, polar opposite than maybe where I was six months ago when I was adamant that, listen, Quinn Ewers is going to come here as a true freshman in January and take this job. I, I, I understand why people might want to call for the other quarterbacks, but if you don't, if you think they're not going to struggle the same way C.J. Stroud is right now, you're crazy because they haven't played college football either, whether you want to talk about Kyle McCord, Quinn Ewers, Jack Miller, whoever. C.J. Stroud looks like a dude who's played two games who's not Justin Fields. He might not ever be Justin Fields, but we don't know. We, we had the conversation kind of last week, too. We don't know what his ceiling is, but what we know is he's a first-year starting quarterback who is working through it. He wasn't – he didn't do enough to win the game either, but he didn't do things that lost them the game either. He is not the reason why they lost his football game. And there's – that he's, a, he's in his second game and he threw 54 passes. You should never be asking for a guy in his second start to be throwing 54 passes. That's a lot for anybody to do. I just – I always looked at this year as – 
he might have some ups and downs. It might not always look clean, but it's going to consistently get better throughout the season. I thought he was better than he was last week, even if he still struggled a little bit in the first half. I think he's going to continue to progress as he gets game games under his belt. The way I put it was he isn't the reason Ohio State lost this game, but he's one of the reasons they didn't win it. Because that's just not where he is at this stage of his career, where he's going to go on the field and have that presence and just march you and win the game. I, 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 Clearly. So yeah. what's your vote? So my vote would be, what was, the one was like medium. I would yeah. take medium. He's fine, but I think there's a decent chance of a different quarterback next year. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that, again, what we're seeing right now is just the culmination. It's it's a, the confluence of like a, a guy who is the next tier down from someone like Fields and a guy who's early in his career. And like, it's, he's farther down from a ceiling that isn't as high. So it's those two things hitting at the, like, it's just a a, a bad timing for that. And I think that there's a really good chance, as we all have said all along, that regardless of what happened with Quinn Ewers showing up now, we always thought there was a good chance he could show up next spring and win this job. And the fact that he's already here now gives him a, a leg up on being able to do that again. And that, that's that, always been my assumption, but the, is that he wins his job next year. There were, I mean, when we were saying it all summer, fans were just like, he's not going to come in here and do that. I don't care about his rating and all that stuff. He's not going to come in here and then see C.J. Stroud. He was rated the same way that those guys were. And we were adamant that he might not be. I don't remember people saying that. Yeah, that happened a lot. Wait, but you're the one, you think C.J. is going to be the starting quarterback next year. I, That's what you voted. Yeah, I, I think he's fine. I also think, no, he might not be Justin Fields, but also he's a first-year starting quarterback going through all this with a defense who doesn't help him out at all. Yeah, no, I, I – At all. No, I know, but he also threw for 494 yards. So, so I mean, like, he, he did put up good numbers, but he also had opportunities to make some winning plays. Here's the thing. I, I'm, like, not starting a quarterback controversy or anything at all. No. But the idea of, like – well, he's not Justin Fields. Well, the whole point is Ohio State's supposed to have Justin Fields. And they might have two Justin Fields behind him. Ryan they Day, have two five-stars behind him. Ryan Day has been talking about that's what he wants this place to be. So I think two games in of a very young career, all bumps and everything understanding that, I'm not sure I see as many glimmers of special as I maybe thought we would see. I do not think he seems like a dangerous runner right now. Now, maybe he has to decide to be that and he'll become that. He can feather some stuff in when guys are open. I mean, he de- Bryce Young rip throws in game one. I don't know. I don't. There, to me, nothing has happened in two games that would make me think, oh, for sure he's the quarterback next year, right? So I am really curious to see how much Kyle McCord gets in the game the next two weeks. Because he's a backup quarterback, right? I mean, Kyle McCord's definitely the backup quarterback, yeah, right? But what? Yeah. So he's going to get in. He has to get – when are you going to play the backup quarterback? You're going to play him against Tulsa and Akron. You have to play him, right? I'll be – don't we think it's possible that both yours and McCord have more arm talent than C.J. Stroud? Don't we think that might be the case? Yes, but I also can see a word where there's some people who get overexcited about that when it's going to be happening against no, second well, and third cares, That's okay, but it's fans. But, but Ryan Day needs to see it, too. Yeah. I, so here's the thing. I'm just wondering about it. And then here comes the other thing. And I'm, it, I'm just going to throw it out there now. If for some reason this becomes a year where it's like, well, they're not going to go to the playoff, I'm, you don't punt the year. But the whole thing is you need to develop quarterbacks. I would start playing the other guys. 
Because guess what? If you think that there's going to be a quarterback competition next year and this team's not going to make the playoff, now I wouldn't do it until they lose another game if they do. And I think it's very possible they don't. I would still vote for 11-1 because I don't know that there's anybody who can make them pay the way Oregon made them pay today with a really good run game and a really good design. And I think this might be the worst game they play, right? I mean, I think, Nathan, like Penn State might have the same ability to do some of the things Oregon, but I don't think Ohio State will play this bad. Because it's going to be later yeah. in the season, right? Yeah. So I definitely think it's probably it very well could be eleven and one. But if for some reason it's not eleven and one, then I would start looking at other guys, right? I mean, I would just start looking, and I just—it's not that he's—he's he's not bad, but that's not the threshold here. And of course, he's young, and nobody's blaming him for this loss. There's no way that anybody should blame Ohio CJ Stroud for this loss, and we have never said anything like that. He made some really good plays, and he didn't make some good plays. But they better if they're not looking for special at quarterback, you've got to get to special at quarterback as fast as you can. And if it's developing CJ Stroud, great. But if there's a possibility that it's not developing CJ Stroud, it's giving McCord or Ewers a chance, I would get to that. And I would get to a peak at that. And I'm not saying bench CJ Stroud. I'm just saying I'm not a hundred percent sure about special. All I mean, whatever. JT Barrett level, great. Everybody on the half listeners of this podcast wanted to bench JT Barrett half his career. So I, I'm I'm curious to see how this unfolds. I'm trying like Is he worse than what you thought he would be to start the season? He's not as dynamic as I thought he might be. I think he's exactly what I thought he would be to start these first two games. Now, you that thought it, in an Oregon game where he threw for 484 yards, we we're all agreeing that he didn't make plays to win them the game. Yes. I, I, yeah, this is, now, did I think it would be as drastic as he's one thing in the first half and another thing in the second? No, but for the part of, he doesn't make every throw, maybe he's, you know, timid with some throws, maybe his decision making isn't as precise as it needs to be, I think he was exactly what I thought he'd be back when we had these conversations in June. That's part of why I'm not worried yet. And that, and, and it's just mostly that the defense is worse than anybody thought, and that's yeah. why we're in this spot. Yeah. In a spot where we are talking about an Ohio State team that just lost yes. to Oregon. Now, granted, if he's at this stage, four weeks from now, then I'm with y'all. I'm like, okay, Quinn, it's your time is coming. But I think just right now, he's exactly where I thought he would be. I just didn't think Ohio State gave up 35 points to Oregon. It's, just, it's hard. Like Everything is predicated on the playoff, right? Like That's the way we judge this program now. Are you making the playoff or are you not? And when first-time guys, freshman guys, have taken teams to the, court, to the playoff, it tends to be your, your Trevor Lawrence's. And players of that caliber, Justin Fields even, I guess he was technically not a freshman anymore, but the first time starter here. Or it's like Jake Fromm that gets attached to a, a, a complete team like Georgia. So right now I think you've got a quarterback who is below those levels. Maybe not below Jake Fromm's level, but similar to Jake. But doesn't have that complete team going along with him. He just doesn't. He doesn't have the second side of the ball. Bingo. So, Again, going back to why I would, I'm after what I saw today. I'm, I'm thinking this might be a two-loss team because I just feel like it, it's, it's lying in wait for another um, convert convergence. Like what it's like we said with with Kerry Combs on defense. It's maybe he's not as good, but also he doesn't have the extra. You know, he's, he's playing handicap. Well, also maybe he's not that good. No, no, but what we're also we're, – we're, we're talking about – because we're not talking about what happened Saturday. We're talking about what it means down the road. And I guess my question would be – we can just get to the – maybe – I mean, it very likely will never come up. Half the people think it's not going to come up. So 
that they're not going to lose. Mm. So why would you change horses midstream? Because the horse drowns and you get wet. Makes me sad to think about a drowning horse. That was a terrible analogy. Can you imagine that poor that horse awful. just in the middle of the stream and you get off? Why would you get off in the middle? They go, stupid horse. Horses are so nice. I'm afraid to ride them, though. They kick you I like head. to pet them. If they, if they have a loss in the middle of the year, say they lose to Indiana or Penn State, and, 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 and people are actually getting sick of Doug's what-if theories. Just to me, the way things look right now, if you reach a point where you're, you, you're not going to make the playoff this year, I would start taking a look at the other quarterbacks on the roster. I would play them all. I would play them all. Because I think you can beat everybody with all of them. But I would start figuring out the quarterback for the future by playing them all. I would not stick with C.J. Stroud for sure through a 10-2 and two year. Just because, like, well, he won the job. And then you get to next spring and it's like, well, he has more experience. And Jack Miller and Kyle McCord and Quinn Ewers have never played. And now all of a sudden it's like, you're going to have a guy who, are you sure he's better than these guys? But he's just more experienced. I would start playing them. So it's, we don't have to worry about it in, until they lose again, which they very well may not do. But you, whatever happens, they're trying to win a national championship this year. That's number one. You know what number two is? Trying to win a national championship next year. Right. So that doesn't mean punt the season, but it means use gameplay to get different guys' experience at the most important position on the field, in my opinion. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think you have an obligation to the program to do that. And I think, again, just the reality of the situation, when you know somebody's going to leave, you need to like let them put their best foot forward in that situation. I think you do that in the offseason. You decide on a starter. But then when that doesn't work, and again, this whole loss isn't on his shoulders, and maybe the next loss wouldn't be either. But when you get to that second loss, and now your goals have changed for the season because you've been blocked from the ultimate goal, then I think you, you like you say, like there's no reason to wait until January to start this quarterback competition again. Like get those guys out on the field and at least give them a shot to play against real teams and give them the same like you know. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Obviously, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. But yeah, I agree with you. I think well, you have to, I, to give that. I can't chance. wait to rewatch this game because I'm I, just in, um, for my own sake. I might make a list of things for why Ohio State lost today. Yeah, and see how many things I can name before I say C.J. Stroud's play. But again, this isn't. We're not talking about whether he was to blame for today's loss or not. We're talking right. about the ramifications of what a loss means for the rest of the season and what a second loss would mean. But the things he didn't do well are fixable because, I mean, he's just a developing quarterback. That's that's really what it is. Are the things he didn't do well fixable? And we'll find that out in the next six weeks if they're fixable or not. I don't know. I don't think the bigger question is, even when you fix his flaws, is he still not as good as Quinn Ewers? The question, the only, I mean, the real question is, does the best version of that quarterback beat Bama? And that applies to every quarterback who steps foot on a field in an Ohio State uniform. And it's not that if the answer is no. If the answer is not 100% yes, then you better be looking at other answers. And I would not say 100% yes right now, right? And everybody's right. I'm taking this too far. as a it com- It's coming across as a criticism of a second-year quarterback in his second career start who threw for 484 yards. And that is not what it is intended to be. I'm trying to take a realistic look at this, and here's why it matters right now. 
Would you guys, in the next two weeks against Tulsa and Akron, give real snaps before garbage time? Would you give a first-half series to another quarterback on this roster in the next two weeks? Yes. I, I don't see what the plausible drawback of that is. The plausible drawback is you lose your starter. And I think Ryan Day thinks that, too. Why? Because they're 19 years old and their psyche kind of matters then here. Then he's not your guy. Now, But, but also, again... They mucked around with Cardale and yeah. JT. Different and situation completely. It, and not really. There were two dudes kind of in the situation. same circumstances. No, it's one not. Guy it's them. not a complete. It's a complete How? situation. How? One of them won a national championship, and the other one led them to an eleven and one record, and was like fifth in the Heisman Trophy voting. Because they, because and you're they, talking and about none of these guys have done anything. And, the, and these, so they're equal. That's yeah. what I'm saying. In both situations, the quarterbacks were. They're equal. not equal. You've anointed one of these guys a starter already, and if you tell him, "Hey, you are our starter, and you are going to play all but one series in the first half," and Comicord's going to play the first series that we have in the second half, if you just say that. And that guy can't handle that. Then that's then that's further. At nineteen, you're telling that but, that kid, nineteen year old, will take his own. If he can't handle that at nineteen, then he can't handle leading you to a national championship. But, at but I guess. But the other thing is, Stephen, if you're two and zero and you're just trying to win a national championship, like the mental, where the mental. Oh no! Where, if they the won, if, matters. Yeah, if they don't, okay. If they don't won this game and he did it, then I, I get it. But there's, see, I, I'm reverse of that. Yeah, you, okay. would, you would you would play the backup quarterbacks if they were two and zero, but you would not play them now that they're one and one. Yeah. I'm the reverse of that. In this I, in this circumstance, yeah, I would play them if they were two two and zero. If I, I, to me, it just it, there's it makes logical sense. And if your quarterback can't understand the logic of why you would do it, I, I then I'm uh, move on to the next guy. Like I don't think every, I think C.J. Stroud would understand why you were playing another guy for one series. Say like, hey, we didn't have we couldn't we could not afford to take you off the field in the first two games because we think you're the best guy. But now we can. We're going to be up twenty-eight to three or whatever in the for, on the first series of the second quarter against Tulsa or Akron. Hopefully, if you're an Ohio State fan. So why would you not play Colin McCord there and then put CJ Stroud back in? Like tell him going into the game that's what you're going to do. That you need him to be ready in case the worst case scenario happens. Like I, I, I don't know if this this is maybe apples oranges, but I'm just going to throw it out there anyway. They kind of did that with like to try to get Tate involved in 2018, and Dwayne Haskins hated it. He hated every minute of it. Yeah, because Dwayne thought that was his job, and Tate was younger, and Kyle was younger. And this is, for from perspective standpoint, been CJ's job for a year. No, not really. From not a perspective standpoint, not perspective nearly the same who? way. I mean, they knew it was a competition. Yeah, no, yeah. not nearly the same way. I don't know. This is this is probably a conversation for a future date. We can continue yeah. to have this. This will be something that we ask. Uh, texters about this week. What would you do? Would you give McCord, Miller? Uh, I mean, Ewers is probably not ready to play. I mean, like you say Ewers, just to take Ewers a in there, they're just going to be like, yes! Throw him out there! I, no. find, I find your opinion on C.J. Stroud very confusing from where you were. Yeah, I know. And we I, just talked about he didn't make plays and moments to win them a game, and your conclusion is he's definitely the starting quarterback next year, and I don't want to see anybody else. I find very confusing. I'm leaving the room that it's going to improve every single year. I know. I'm kind of turning into a C.J. Stroud apologist. I don't want to do that. But I just – I'm not shocked that this is how it looks for him the first two games, and maybe that's you know directing some of my takes right now. And I'm just thinking it's going to improve as the season goes on instead of just thinking – Well, everybody improves the more they do. Right. And, and that's, I'm just, not, I, that's, that's life. And I don't. This is hard. This I don't know. I just. I, I just. I just. To me, 
the flashes so far in two games. I mean, if you watch Bryce Young and you're like, well, that guy, that guy's got, right? And even DJ against Notre Dame last year. It's like you just see the size and you see the stuff. And you, and he's good. And this is not – you're probably – we'll stop. We'll stop because now people are just throwing things at their phones and at their yes. radios and saying, like, we're talking in circles. We'll talk about it more this week. C.J. Stroud did a lot of good things. They needed a slight bit more to win this game, and they didn't get it, and they lost. But it's it's certainly much more of a defensive issue. Um, and we did a video on the field after the game where you said the problem was that the offense didn't score more in the first half, even. I think that was more about play calling than execution at times, though. Okay. that's. I do think the idea that they, they are need to establish the run more slash also take more shots early. I do think that when we go back and look at the play calling in the first half, we might have a lot of questions, Stephen, to your point that, I, that they, 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 need to, they need to do a lot of other things, and they wind up throwing. Well, here's the thing about a bubble screen. It might get you six yards, but it doesn't establish your offensive line no. and your running backs, and it doesn't really threaten the defense down the field, which is what Olave and Wilson do best. Right. So it's six yards at the cost of developing your offense. It, it's a low ceiling. It's a it's a low risk, low reward kind of situation. And it's hard to build on it. You don't really build anything. Sometimes you get these offensive linemen going in the run game and they start steamrolling people. And they didn't steamroll people today. And maybe it's because, because here's the thing, on RPO you block for the run, right? And then they throw a quick bubble and it's like, ugh. Well, that then, was for nothing. And then now you're throwing deep shots just because you kind of have to because you're trying to fight your way back into I, the game. I, I will say, I think when we go back and look at this game, too, in the first half, and as much as I pointed out that that, that the, the, the poor um, execution in on this half of the field, the, the positive half of the field for Ohio State was a problem, I can remember, and there were a couple throws that, that C.J. Stroud definitely missed, but I can also think of, like, we were looking at the stats, and, like, there was, there was one target for... Um, Kate Stover that a an Oregon player broke up, and there was another target for Jeremy Rucker that an Oregon player broke up. So the Oregon was making some plays on the ball. I thought there were just some instances where Ohio State uh, didn't win some plays on the ball that they are used to winning. We got to look at those. He had he threw two good balls over the middle that the Ohio State player initially caught, including that Stover one. Yeah. And then an Oregon defender popped him, and the ball came out. It was clearly an incompletion, not a fumble. But I thought both of those, they were there earlier than he threw it. And yep. if you threw it a little earlier, I mean, he threw some hospital. <laughs> he got, some of his guys got lit up. And I need to go back and look to see if it, because was he a half second late on the throw? Because a lot of that looked right. And again, this is hard. A lot of it kind of looked right, but it also was like, well, why didn't that work? And if it's blocked well and schemed well, part of it makes me think like, well, maybe the timing was slightly off and that's a young quarterback who didn't quite get it there in time. Or didn't put enough zip on it or do whatever. Um, okay, we'll stop. We've been talking for a long time. We need to watch this again so we can analyze it some more. We're going to be doing it all week. We did not get to your questions. I have them. We will get to them. I promise you we will get to them. It is hard to go through questions like this while we're still sitting in the press box and they're getting ready to kick us out. This may be Monday Madness. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of It's like one of these things. Monday Madness is like, oh, they won by 50. Let's talk about Iowa State. And it's like, oh, no, they lost. And oh, by the way, Iowa State's going to lose too. Um, so we will continue to talk about this. And again, we don't dwell on the now. We dwell in the future and what it means. Read Cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. 
listen to the podcast five days a week. Too Sorry, happy about, I was watching an outside kid. He's way too happy <laughs> about his Iowa. I, was I mean, it's like you made a, you made one pick right. You get it. You picked <laughs> Iowa. Congratulations. Um, make sure you're reading Cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk and listen to the pod and try the text at 614-350-3315. We're going to be sending out a lot of surveys, uh, getting trying to get a read from you guys on what you're thinking about this team. And if we spun you in a circle in the last 20 minutes in the quarterback talk, we apologize. Um, but we'll get into more of that stuff this week. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk.